Thank you for listening to the podcast of Palmetto Baptist Church. We pray that as you listen to the following message, that it will encourage you to continue to connect, grow, and serve in your relationship with God and with others. Let's pray together. Awaken us, O God, to sense your presence among us this morning. We're here to meet with you. In our singing and speaking, listening and giving, we praise your name and tell of your great faithfulness. And your faithfulness has indeed been great. Open our eyes now to see your glory revealed through your Son. Open our ears to hear your voice speaking through your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I grew up in a typical suburban middle class family just outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. In my house, uh, hard work was expected, good grades were rewarded, and discipline was enforced. But Christianity and church didn't factor very much into that equation. And then during my senior year of high school, I was invited to go on a weekend retreat with a church group. Some of my friends had signed up to go, so I went ahead and signed up too. I just figured it would be a good chance to get away from home and hang out with friends, you know. (laughs) I didn't really think that that weekend was going to change the course of my life. But on that Saturday night, I was struck with the thought that I could and should live for something deeper, something more, something better than I was at the time. Was it God? I wasn't sure, right? I wasn't an atheist, so I didn't think that God was a delusion, but I wasn't a seeker looking for a spiritual experience either. And yet there I was, being confronted by a thought, a possibility, a small voice calling me to embrace a new way of being me. They sent me home with a paperback Bible. You've seen them, they sell them at Walmart, the little ones with no notes in it, no nothing, just paperback, here you go, small text, read it. It was the first Bible I ever read. And I came to believe that the voice was in fact the voice of God. I don't mean God in the distant old man in the sky sense. I mean God in the dynamic, active agent within creation sense. So more specifically, I came to believe that the voice was the Spirit of God calling me to follow the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is the way, the truth, and the life. One of the first things I recognized as a new Christian was that I had been given new hope for the past to be redeemed, for the present to be significant, and for the future to be transformed. I imagine my new sense of hope was similar in a way to the new hope announced by Zephaniah in the Old Testament. Some of you might not know who Zephaniah was. After speaking judgment over the people of Judah for all their unfaithfulness, the prophet declared, Sing, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. For the Lord will remove His hand of judgment and will disperse the armies of your enemy. 
And the Lord Himself, the King of Israel, will live among you. At last your troubles will be over, and you will never again fear disaster. On that day, the announcement in Jerusalem will be, Cheer up, Zion, don't be afraid, for the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. The whole passage is laced with hope for a redeemed yesterday, a significant today, and a transformed tomorrow. It's the same hope that I had begun to sense for myself. Hope is the energy that propels and sustains us as we travel along the journey of faith. As a church, we won't get far with the connecting, the growing, or the serving without the hope that connecting matters, that growing matters, that serving matters. And hope insists that they do matter, that you matter, that all of us together matter. And because of that, tomorrow can be different than today. But everywhere we turn, we come face to face with appearances to the contrary, don't we? Watch the news. What do you see? Random acts of vandalism and violence. Look out the window. What do you see? Declining property values, unemployment. Look in the mirror. What do you see? Acne, right? (laughs) Weakening bones, more gray hairs. They're all out of our hands. What say do we have about any of it? We don't seem to matter. Or maybe your trouble is less obvious. Maybe it's the groove that turned into a rut. You started off in your marriage and your job and your faith with such excitement and enthusiasm. And now it's become just one more thing to deal with while you try to find something that really gets your adrenaline pumping. But nothing quite seems to do it. For some people, these are enough to cause a total loss of hope. A loss of the sense that we matter and that tomorrow can be different than today. In the United States alone, where the pursuit of happiness reigns supreme, someone ends their life by suicide every 14 minutes. When you lose your hope, life gets dim. And there's no doubt that the world is presently out of joint, so don't get me wrong. But hope propels and sustains us in faith precisely because hope is an expectation of transformation that dares to declare that tomorrow can be different than today. That's what hope is. An expectation of transformation that dares to declare that tomorrow can be different than today. Hope leads us to believe that our day-to-day existence has been baptized in the glorious possibilities of renewal and restoration. That contrary to appearances, God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made Him head over all things for the benefit of the church. The text says all things. Highs and lows, past, present, future. We worship a God who is willing and working to undo the brokenness that is both in the world and within each of us. 
God is always on the move, always on the verge of breaking loose to transform our world with salvation, life, and hope. And He won't stop until His work is complete. But I don't want to trivialize hope by imagining that we can wave a magic wand and claim it as our own. I've got a wand right here. Ha, here it is. Yep. Uh, Earlier this week, my kids were playing with this wand right here. Tyson looked at the wand and looked at me and he said, uh, Disappear, Daddy. (laughs) And I did. And then he had set it down and Reagan walked over to the wand and saw it sitting there. And she said, Daddy, appear. And and I did. (laughs) But it's not that simple, right, when it comes to hope. We wish it were, but it's not because there's another force among us. Despair is the enemy of hope. Despair. It's so toxic that Soren Kierkegaard, the 19th century Danish philosopher, called it the sickness unto death. It's that serious. Despair. It's the sense you have that no matter how hard you try, you'll never be good enough. It's the voice you encounter in rejection and failure that whispers you'll never measure up. It nudges you to concede that tomorrow will be the same thing on a different day. There's nothing new to be discovered, attempted, or explored, at least not by you, because you really don't matter. That's the voice of despair. And don't be fooled, despair isn't limited to those who are down and out. It's also present at the parties of the well-off, well-dressed, and well-connected. They aren't deaf to those same whispers. And they aren't numb to those same nudges. You remember the rich man who came up to Jesus, right? The young rich man. What must I do to inherit eternal life, he said. He had everything. But he knew he was missing something. He had heard the whispers and felt the nudges. And all the money in the world couldn't turn them off. The despair that causes the struggling student to finally give up is the same despair that drives the insecure businessman to never stop working. Fortunately, for us and for the world, the church has always recognized Jesus as one who is more powerful than despair and more powerful than even death itself. When we open ourselves up to Him in transparency and humility, He brings the healing and salvation we so desperately need. Where there is despair, He brings hope. Where there is death, He brings life. A few examples from the Gospels make the point. On one occasion when the crowds could only grumble about a sinner, a no-good nobody named Zacchaeus, Jesus announced that salvation had come to His house. Another time, Jesus told the story of a young son who left his family, right? Wasted all his money. He returned to his father's house with his head hanging low. And what happened then? Jesus said that the father ran out to meet his son and embraced him because the boy was dead and has now returned to life. It's good. Then there was Jesus' response to John's question about who he was, right? John was in prison full of despair. 
He sent two of his friends to ask of Jesus, Are you the one we've been expecting? There are so many appearances to the contrary. But Jesus says, The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news is being preached to the poor. For those who have eyes to see and ears to hear, hope is rising over the horizon. Salvation, life, and hope. Stories and statements like these, along with the bodily resurrection on Easter morning, framed the early church's conviction about the identity and power of this Jesus. Despair cannot stop Him, and death cannot defeat Him. It's this conviction, I believe, that the church today must regain. Because the same thing can be said about His followers. Despair cannot stop us, and death cannot defeat us. Neither the up and in nor the down and out can outrun the relentless pursuit of God to restore the hope of His people. That's why, from the first text I used, Zephaniah could say, He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With His love, He will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. And frankly, I think that's happening right now. God is taking delight in you. God is rejoicing over us with joyful songs this morning. I believe that. And if you listen close enough, you just might hear Him. Now rest assured, this kind of hope is not like a fortune cookie that offers a vague sense of optimism about the future. Right? You've all been there, cracked it open, gotten excited for a second, but you know it's not real. (laughs) It doesn't last. It's not sure. Our hope is sure because it's rooted in the work of Jesus on our behalf and also in our identity as members of God's own family. That's what the Gospel of John tells us. To all who believed Him and accepted Him, He gave the right to become children of God. That's one of the most staggering statements in the whole Bible, by the way. Outsiders can become insiders. Those who have rejected God can become children of God. Those without a family can be members of God's family. The Apostle Paul brings together God's rejoicing and our membership in God's family when he says that God decided in advance to adopt us into His own family by bringing us to Himself through Jesus Christ. Now get this, this is what He wanted to do because it gave Him great pleasure. God's pleasure and our inclusion are the same thing. It's incredible. Anyone who trusts in Jesus regardless of status or skin color is given the new identity of one who is welcomed into the family of God. It's as if you turn to God, however hesitatingly, only to find His arms already open and the words, Welcome home, whispered in your ear. In that move of repentance and belief, the silence of despair is broken and our new identity permits us to see our lives differently. There's new hope now. The past is redeemed. The present is significant. The future is transformed. What we do and think and say matters because we matter to God. Tomorrow can be different than today. It's liberating when you have that kind of hope. 
No one is too far. No one is too high. No one is too low. There is room in God's family for everyone who wishes to join. Our basis for hope then is not our circumstances or our feelings, but our God. We can hope because God is utterly faithful. We can hope because God still has promises to keep. We can hope because God still loves and grieves and strives with His creation. We can hope because God has adopted us as His children. We can hope because God will never leave us nor forsake us. That's our hope. We still have our share of blessings and curses, right? We all know that to be true. Nobody gets through life without them. But in all things, we remain sons and daughters of God who hope and work and pray for God's kingdom to come and God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. And eventually... The day will arrive when all manner of despair and death are dealt with, and it's God that we will see face to face. That's our ultimate hope, isn't it? It's an expectation of transformation that touches every part of our lives. Our families, our church, our work, and our world. And this morning, we're all invited to hope again, because God isn't finished with us yet. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for not giving up on us, even when we are tempted to give up on you. You have pursued us and called us and welcomed us, not as slaves, but as your children, members of your very own family. Help us to remember that your steadfast love never ceases. And your mercies are new every morning. Stir in us dreams and visions for tomorrow as we rest in your promises today. Wherever we are on the journey of faith, I pray you would empower us and embolden us to take the next step. Our hope is in you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.